Hey, thanks for tuning into The Way, our Wednesday night service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. Wednesday nights, we're The Way. We're talking about Thomas and concluding tonight with Thomas. So far, we've talked about Andrew, looked in his life. We've looked in the life of Philip. We've looked in the life of Matthew. And now we've talked about Thomas. And so, Thomas is the... When we think of Thomas, we think of the guy who was the doubter, but we've changed our perspective on Thomas. No longer do we think of Thomas the doubter. We think of Thomas the change. The change. That's exactly right because we don't want on a billboard our sins of doubt since we've sinned, especially if it's a momentary blip on the radar of our life, but instead we want to make sure that we are that person that has been represented around us and before us as one who has been absolutely changed by the power of Jesus Christ. So how did Thomas experience change? He had followed Jesus for three and a half years of his life. There was some change that was involved in that, obviously. When Jesus called him out by name and said to him, come and follow me, there was obviously some change that had to happen in his life. But the greatest point of change was after Jesus died on a cross, was buried, three days later rose from the dead. That is the gospel and the reason for that so that Thomas's sins could be forgiven him he is waiting pre-crucifixion and pre-resurrection for his sin debt to be taken care of. Tetelestai, it is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. As everybody before that was. But when that happens, there is the miraculous opportunity of a new birth that Jesus told Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. And so Thomas now has that opportunity. And so what gave him the opportunity was God revealing himself, Jesus revealing, manifesting himself before Thomas. And then inviting Thomas to himself. Because remember we talked about this in the first message of Thomas's life. That when God, when Jesus reveals himself to us, he is also in the revealing of himself inviting us to him. God is an inviting kind of God. Thank God that he is. And so he invited Thomas to himself. And then Thomas, as we learned last week, showed adoration as a response to the revelation of Jesus and the invitation of Jesus. There is the adoration of Thomas and he begins to adore him and worship him by saying, my Lord and my God, you you are exactly who you said you are. You have done exactly what you said you would do. And because of that, Jesus says, I want you to know this to be true. Not just here, but here. Not just in the intellect, but in the emotion and in the center of your will, your heart. I want you to be so motivated. I want there to be the... The combination of both knowledge of mind and knowledge of heart because you can know something in your head and have no desire to do it. Or you can have desire to do something but no intellect in how to do it. But when those things collide, whoo. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to know it and I want you to go with it. And so Thomas learned that and he adored Jesus as a response to that. And so tonight we're going to talk about how Jesus observes Thomas's faith and sees beyond that moment into our faith. And so that's the reason we've got this subtitle for tonight's message, An Invisible View. I'm sorry, every time I, I, I read that, I was looking through my notes earlier today and I read through that and I just kind of giggled a little bit because that's one of those statements that like you're saying, what? It, 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 so, so my brain, this is how it works. Not everybody's brain works this way. And if yours don't, you better thank God that it doesn't. As I read something, the movie's being played in my brain. 
as I, as I hear something uh, and I'm, I'm experiencing these words, I'm, I'm getting these definitions of these words, and not always is it Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, not always is it Siri's uh, de- definition to the word. Sometimes it's my definition of the word, but it's still a definition that pops in my mind when I read through words, especially when it comes to somewhat of an odd statement like this one. When, when I read an invisible view, it's almost like an oxymoron. It's a statement that con- contradicts itself. And that, that's kind of how I, I see that when I see an invisible. Uh, this is what I want us to do. I want you to think of something that is invisible. When you, when you have that in your mind, something that is invisible, raise your hand. All right, good. On three, I want you to shout out the word that you've got in your mind that's the word of in, invisibility. One, two, three. Air, Air glass. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different words. Air was mine or oxygen. In, invisible, invisible, and invisible, and then view. So how do you define the word view? This is what, again, this is in my mind. This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about me being on, on, a, on a high spot. Um, we live in Mississippi, not too many mountains, but, but if I'm on a high spot like High Hill or, or Nance Hill, the, or two of the highest uh, points in, in Scott County, or, or maybe it is in the mountains and I'm up there and I'm, I'm seeing this view that is breathtaking and it's as far as your eye can see and this view of all. That's before, or, or, or I'm viewing something and, and I'm looking intently and I'm catching every detail and, and I'm seeing something go from bland and colorless because it's being viewed with intention all of a sudden to where it's so colorful and exciting. And so an invisible view doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when you look at this verse in just a moment on the screen, I hope the latter part of the verse helps you understand what I mean when I say an invisible view. John chapter 20, we've been in it through the entire time with Thomas. Verse 29, the last verse that we've talked about thus far. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas. Well, we've already experienced Thomas eight days after the first revelation of Jesus to the other disciples. How he walked in the room, said, peace be still. He had a message for them eight days later. Seems like he shows up specifically for Thomas. Walks in the room. Doors are locked. Miraculously physical body yet. It's going through this this door, locked door wall. Shows up. Peace be still, has a message for Thomas. It says to Thomas, Thomas, man, why, why are you not believing the report? By the way, this is, this is Andy's translation. Why are you not believing the report? You, you should be able to, at this point in life, trust your brothers, but you're not trusting your brothers. Why are you not trusting your brothers? And Thomas is, was thinking all before this, I'm not going to believe Jesus rose from the dead until I put my hands in the nail-scarred places, in the spear, in the side. I'm not going to believe until I can see it, touch it, grasp it, then I'll believe. He's got a, I got to see it to believe it kind of mentality. And Jesus shows up and says, here it is. Touch my scars. Know that it's me. It's really me, Thomas. And Thomas falls to his knees. And then after he makes that confession, Jesus is warning him to go from faithless to believing. Not just one who has to see. He says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. 
Thomas, you believe because you have had the view, the viewing of my body. You've seen it. You've had the opportunity to touch it. You see me here. Blessed are those who believe and don't have the opportunity to see. You see, what Thomas had was a visible, tangible Jesus in front of him that he could touch and experience with more senses than what we can. He was able to see through these two things that God gave him in, in the center of his head so that he could, in his eyes, so that he could see he's walking not by faith but by sight in this moment. But what does he call you to do? And what does he call me to do? He calls us to walk by faith. Therefore, our faith has to have an invisible view. It has to be able to see at this moment in life what obviously cannot be seen. But even more than that, when you think about this, what Jesus says, thou hast believed because thou hast, uh, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is seeing us, speaking of us, who at that time was invisible, yet he had a view of you. And it's not uncommon for Jesus to make statements like that. He spoke of it in John chapter 17, verse 20, when he's praying that what's called the high priestly prayer as he is in the garden of Gethsemane. Many people believe that's where he prayed this prayer. And he's praying and he's saying, God, I pray for those who will believe on the testimony of the disciples. So, so this, is, this is the fact. If you believe the testimony of the Bible and the apostles, he's speaking about you. Do you believe that? He's speaking about you. John chapter 10, verse 16, when he's talking about he's the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If anybody tries to come through into the sheepfold another way, he's a thief and a liar. Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep, right? And in verse 16, he says, I have sheep that you know not of. Jesus was speaking of, of people in that day then and there, I believe, because he's speaking of not just... He, he, he's, the, the sheep that they know of are the Jews, but the sheep they don't know of is the Gentiles. If you are a believing Gentile, a non-Jew today, I believe he was speaking about you. And then here in our obvious main text, John 20, 29. If you've never physically seen Jesus, yet you are a believer, Jesus is talking about you. Jesus is saying it's completely okay on this side of things as a Christian, a follower in the way to have an invisible view because Jesus, in a sense, still has an invisible view of those who are to come. And so, so he was, he's asking us to see what cannot be seen. There's another one of those, right, J.D.? To see what cannot be seen. How do you do that? There's only one way to do that, and that is to live out this life actively by faith in what has been told. This is the thing for a person who is physically blind, a person who is absolutely physically blind and cannot see anything. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Stevie Wonder, right? I'm talking about shades on, it don't matter, can't see anything, and so they depend on other senses to make up for what sense they don't have. You got to hold on to that, okay? 
Because you, you have to operate on another sense. You can't depend on one that's not working for you right now. It's one not working for you right now. One day when we pass from this life into the next as a born again follower of Jesus and we stand before the throne of Jesus, we can say bye-bye to faith and we can say hello to sight. We're going to see Christ, the resurrected glory in his resurrected glory and the glorious, according to Revelation chapter 1, light that shines brighter than the sun. You know, people tell you all the time, oh, don't stare into the sun. It'll burn your eyes. There's a sun, he says, stare into me, and I'll make all things visible to you. And so for Thomas, seeing was believing in that Thomas found a slight reward here. I mean, Jesus is not necessarily rebuking him or taking away a reward. He said, because you have seen, you have believed, Thomas. Now go from doubting Thomas to change Thomas. Don't just fall to your knees in this moment and say, my, my, my Lord and my God, don't do that. But, but you're going to have to eventually give your life for the sake of the gospel in India as, as arrows are thrust into your body. You don't need doubting then. You don't need doubting when things get difficult because you're going to be an apostle for me and you're going to go share the gospel with several people. You're going to be one of the 11 in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit falls and Peter may be the lead preacher, but I'm going to have a bunch of side preachers and there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. And, and so, Thomas, I need you to be faithful and not full of doubt then. Said you, now there's going to be a moment to where I go away. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 7. It's very important that I go away. If I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But when I go away, then I will send unto you the Holy Spirit. That was prophetical to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession, prays for all of us. And then in Acts chapter 2, there is the rushing mighty wind and the cloven tongues of fire. And there's the experience of a body filled with the Holy Spirit and then is provoked by the Holy Spirit into this new ministry to proclaim the Word of God. And it happens. Thomas, I don't need you doubting then. You're not going to see me then. You've got to trust in senses that, that you're not trusting in right now. But then he says something about us. And we learned about Thomas. And in each one of these disciples, we see a little bit of us. Remember, we talked about that. And when, 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 we talked, when we talked about Andrew, there's a little bit of Andrew in all of you guys. Especially those of you guys, I saw this Saturday when we were at um, Northside and we were passing out 8,743 chicken plates. There's some Andrew in you because you're going after people and you're loving on people. We're talking about this today as we were kind of unpacking that. With It was me and Destry and Greg. And, and, and so we, we were like, some people got prayed for twice. They came up for our chicken. Somebody grabbed them, prayed for them. They got their chicken, thought they was going to get away. Uh-uh. Too many Andrews. So, so some people got the double dose of the Holy Ghost through prayer, right? And so... And so that's, that's good, though. It's, there's a little bit of Andrew. There's a little bit of Matthew in, in, in us as well. There's some things in our life that's just kind of awkward, right? There's, there's some Philip in us. Remember that there's some, some of Thomas in us as well. If we're not careful, we'll let doubt steal away the opportunity of faith. 
There, there's a little bit of, I don't want to cut too far ahead, but there's a little bit of Judas in us. Right? There's a, there's a little bit of uh, a Simon Peter in us. There's, there, there's a little bit of all these disciples we can see in us, but, but for us, what I want to see in the latter part of Jesus' comment here to where he says, but blessed are they who have not seen and yet they believe. They don't need the physical eyes to see. They have a different sense. They're using a sense of faith. And because of that, he says, that we're blessed. You're blessed. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm blessed. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means I can't be stressed. That was too many words for y'all. <laughs> y'all are like, what do you say? I Repeat that, please. All right, so... <laughs> And we are blessed. We're, we're, we're blessed in more ways than what we can possibly imagine. I remember as a kid growing up and having that old hymn sung, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. I mean, they're, they're overwhelming. And, and, and so when we, when we think we are blessed and we think of, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed. In, in a general sense, yes, we're blessed. Specifically speaking, let, let me say this. Speaking of the Lord and his activity in your life, if you generalize it, that's all you'll get is the momentary satisfaction that a general answer can give you. But if you'll get specific about it, if you'll crawl up into the details of that, if you'll begin to offer your mind some space from the Holy Spirit through a heart of gratitude and the little things and the specific things that God has blessed you for and with, Mm. He says, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. The word blessed means happy, spiritually secure, favored by God. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And the way he, he starts the Beatitudes, every single one of them, he says, blessed are thee. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those the hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, blessed are those who persecute. All these, uh, blessed are the peacemakers. He uses the word blessed, at least in the King James translation. Maybe some other translation has a different word, but, but when he uses the word blessed, he's, he's talking about those who find a true sense of, of happiness. Remember that joy and happiness are two separate things. Joy is internal, comes by Jesus. Happiness is external, it comes through circumstance. It's not necessarily wrong to be happy. Who likes to be happy? I mean, we write songs about it, right? What's the song you're thinking about right now? Happy, happy, joy, joy. So there's so many songs about happiness, right? Be happy. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it. Right, Y'all be quiet. I'm preaching. All right. So, <laughs> so, I mean, it's not wrong to be happy, but remember the Beatitudes because he says, Blessed happy are they who mourn. What? For they shall be comforted. Because there's a condition there. It's circumstantial there. So it's okay for you to experience happiness in the midst of this because God on the backside of that is giving reward. And so here he says, happy? He says, spiritually secure. Huh. Are they 
that have not seen and yet have believed. You know what that says? That says put your feet on this solid place. Even though you can't see it here, you can see it here, and this has a whole lot more power than this anyway. Just place your feet here. He says, favored by God are they that have not seen and yet have believed. If I have favor for, from anybody, I want it to be from God. Got to have it from God, right? So we are, we are blessed in our faith, folks. When Jesus gains this favor from God and this blessing from God. And, and God decides to choose. He chooses to move through the vein of your faith. Don't underestimate your faith. You say, well, Andy, my faith is weak. It's okay because God knows you're weak. And when you are weak, he says, I am able to be strong. You say, but Andy, my faith is small. He says, it's okay because the grain the, the, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, and yet when it's planted in the ground, breaks out into the greatest of shrubberies. It's, it's okay if it's small. God can do something with small. God can do something with weak. It's okay when you offer it to him. Give it to him. So we are blessed, and God wishes to move through the channel of that faith for blessing. But also we have a different kind of evidence, <laughs> That's the second thought there. We have, we have a different kind of evidence. Because Thomas, he's, he's got to see it. But we have something different. We have something different now. Uh, again, we're in this new covenant. We are in what, what people who study the Bible, they're called scholars or theologians. They, they consider our time frame of God's calendar the age of grace. From the, from the, the conclusion of the Bible... And even a little bit before that, actually, to, to now, we, we, we have this age of grace to where God is graceful and he's offering grace and his spirit ushers in grace. And, and so because we have this grace that is offered to us, there's really, there's more than just two, but two main witnesses that is given to us for our evidence. And that is the word of God and the spirit of God. What kind of different evidence do we have than Thomas had? Thomas had the Old Testament, not discounting that, but he was living the New Testament. Thomas was devoid of the Holy Spirit as we know the Holy Spirit after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Uh, but the, during the Pentecostes, when the Holy Spirit came down, indwelled in men, did this amazing, unique work that was promised by Jesus. So the Word of God, completion in your lap, in your hand, on your phone, on your nightstand, on the dash of your vehicle, please take it off the dash of your vehicle. It gets sunburned. And that word is there. And that word is sure. And that word is solid. And that word is steadfast. And, and that word is, is not like the flowers of the field that fade away in the burning of the sun. But, but it endures forever. The word of God is consistent. The word of God is written before me. It doesn't change. It, as a matter of fact, when I get into the word, if I'm not careful, I'll try to change it to fit me. I'm supposed to let it change me so I can fit it. So let that word be a witness and a testimony to me is that we got a different kind of evidence and this is the evidence that we've got but we've got the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Thomas didn't have that before Pentecost. We got the evidence of the Holy Spirit who, who is able to live inside of us. You see, this is the thing about our God in Christianity. 
is that our God is for us on the cross. And our God is in us through Pentecost. He, he says, I want to... Let me ask you this. Have you, have you ever just loved somebody so much? And, and you just couldn't stand to, to be away from something? I, this is me and my wife. Amen, sister? She giving me the thumbs up. Okay. It's a quiet amen, but I feel like it's heartfelt. You know, I'm just... I'm with her. I'm with, I mean, you just can't get no closer, right? You, you ought to see us, you know, when the nights that I'm home a little bit earlier than normal, you know. Last night I think I got home around 9.45, but sometimes I'm home, you know, eat supper and 7 o'clock and 7.45. You know, we got this love seat with this little ottoman in front of it, and we got this blanket that we use, and, and it don't matter if it's 95 degrees outside. We in love. So we get there and we throw that blanket up and you just can't get no, but don't worry, 745, we asleep. But I <laughs> oh, just can't get no closer. God is, God loves us. And God says, this is, this is as close as I can get to you. By my spirit, I'm going to live inside of you. I'm going to be here. <laughs> I'm going to be here. Listen to this voice, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, what he does when he speaks, he never speaks contrary to this book. He always speaks complementary of this book. He doesn't say, do something different than, I, I, I've been in the ministry a long time, folks, and sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, God told me, and they'll tell me some of the most off the wall, crazy junk you've ever heard in your life. And automatically in my brain, there's so many red flags and red flashes and alerts saying, bang, bang, bang. now the Bible says this and they're saying this, so what they're saying, I don't, what God said, I believe I'll trust. And so then I'll just hopefully in attack, go to the Bible and say, well, what does this mean? All right? Because we, we can get all excited about certain things and listen to a voice and it's not always the Holy Spirit's voice. And it'd be contradictory to this. The Holy Spirit compliments this. He doesn't contradict this. There's the two witnesses. And so we have a, a different kind of evidence that Thomas had. He has to see by, by sight. We see by faith in the Word of God and the Spirit of God who lives inside of us and who is before us and who's going to guide us. And it's going to be a moral compass to us. He's going to be a true north to us. And he's never, 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 never going to fail us. And so we have a different kind of evidence in his witnesses. But also... <laughs> We express more faith. Man, that sounds prideful. We express a more full kind of faith. Now I want you to understand, we ain't better than Thomas, and Thomas ain't better than us. Thomas was born when God chose him to be born, and he experienced life as God allowed him to experience life. We're born when we're born, and we get to experience life the way God has positioned us to be able to experience life. One's not greater than the other. All is according to God's plan, time, and will, and that's completely up to him because he is just and sovereign and able to do anything he desires to do. I didn't say that we express a better faith than Thomas. We express a more full faith than Thomas, at least in that moment, right? <laughs> and, and so how is that? He, he says there in verse 29, he says, yet you haven't seen it, yet you have Yet they, they will, they will believe. 
Is it easier to believe in something you can see? Absolutely. It's more difficult to believe in something you can't see. But when you believe in something you can't see as opposed to believing in something you can see, what you can't see obviously demands more faith than what you can see. Therefore, in this, there it has to be a more fullness of faith experienced. So, how is that experienced? You see, a full faith says yes when another kind of faith says why. Now, I think I probably cut the carpet a little close to some people because, honestly, the carpet was cut real close to me whenever I thought through this. <laughs> a more full faith is not going to respond to the promise of the Holy Spirit or the promise of the Word of God or the movement of the Holy Spirit or the conviction of the Holy Spirit or the conviction of the Word of God, the, the witnesses that are given to us through those manners. is not going to respond to that as, Why? I'm not saying that it's wrong to ask the question why when your heart is inquisitive to be able to understand. You know there's two kind of whys that your kids ask you when you give them an answer. Huh? Rise up, parents. Rise up. You tell your kids something, and there's this, but why? And so the, but, but why? You have to judge the tone. You have to discern the heart of that why because sometimes that why is legitimate and you know they're just struggling and you need to say, okay, this is, this is why daddy said what he said. But then again, sometimes it's that eye roll. <laughs> just kidding. Let me drink some water real quick. It's that eye roll and that's why. It's not inquisitive. It's not a question. It's a mock. Why? So you've got one that is a why that's really wanting to know so that they can build on that. Then you've got another why that's just, I really don't want to know. I just want to insult you. <laughs> See, a, a lesser kind of faith in the moment of trial or a moment of, 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 of two ways or, or whatever it is. There's a lesser kind of faith that says, why to God? But a fuller faith just says, yes, God. This is what happens. Isaiah, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. The train of the Lord's robe fills the temple. God says, who shall go for us? Who shall we send? Isaiah didn't say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. I see everything that's going on. My question is, so where are you going? How much are you paying? How long you got to stay? You mean you're God, you can see the future. What's going to happen? Give me the, give me the get, this is the, my wise. Give me the answers to my wise, and then I'll give you my answer on whether or not I'll be the one you're trying to send out. Is that what happened? Isaiah, because he was caught up in the very glory of God and his whole life was shaken that God would allow him in that moment to experience his presence as he did. He was so enraptured in all of this. He says, yes. See, this moment of his faith is, is more full. And he says, yes. Your yes usually 
has to come out of the fullness of your faith. So we are blessed with this different kind of evidence so that we can experience a more full faith. Now church, knowing Jesus has done what he promised to do, go out with that faith.